0: If you are a Braveheart, the next hour is just for you. Welcome to Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold. In this program, you'll learn who the Bravehearts are and connect with them to help change the world. By doing so, you'll be changed for the better. Now, here's your host, Brian Reinbold.
1: Welcome, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the mission specialist because you know, I don't fly the rockets. I just help make sure the, uh, trip gets accomplished today I'm having uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm having a good day today already and uh, uh, it's made better because uh, I have as my guest today in studio Luke Taberski. Uh Luke we met we met uh, we met through uh, an introduction from Simon Town uh, I met Simon Town through uh, super connector Frank Agan and I met Frank through JD Gershbein so I've given the kudos of our family tree all the way back up to uh, to uh, my, my my good friend J D Gershbein who uh, taught me about making a connection with someone on LinkedIn and um, and and following that up with a with a conversation, and uh, so so uh, you know we had our, our first LinkedIn uh, or our first Zoom conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was so excited to have another conversation that I I, I got Luke on the on the uh, Zoom call this morning. And uh, morning for me, afternoon for him, but uh, I got him on the call and the, the first thing I said was, hey, you want to be on the uh, Bravehearts radio show and, and, and record this? And he was, he was game for it. So welcome, Luke.
2: Thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm excited. I love a bit of impromptu recording. So uh, yeah, let's dive into it.
1: I think it's, it's sometimes it really works out better that way than uh, man. I got a lot of prepared because what we you know when we first talked um, and this happens to me a lot where, where I'll say oh my god why are we not recording this um, we we do that at home a lot oh my god we should be recording this you know share it with the world and and the story that you told the first time that we uh, that we got together um, was 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 something that that caused me to say that you know because. Um, your, uh, I don't know if you'd call it an origin story, uh, you know, how, how you became who you are. Um, and, uh, you know, going back to uh, your, your dreams and your your life purpose when you were a little boy. Uh, do you want to get into it and share that with uh, the Bravehearts today?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. So I am Australian. I grew up in Australia. I live in London these days. And ever since I can remember... You know, from maybe four years of age, all I ever wanted to do was be a soccer player. Mm-hmm. Now you might think oh, maybe his dad was a soccer player, or maybe even his mum was a soccer player, or he had an elder brother. It was my uncle. My uncle played soccer, not at any high level, just played in our local town. Not a not a huge town. We had about twenty thousand people in the town that I grew up in, in Bathurst. So little little country town there, and. That's all I ever wanted to do. You asked Luke at 4, 7, 10, 12, 15, it's I'm going to play soccer. And when I got into my teenage years, I realized and I could conceptualize that not everyone who wants to be a professional athlete becomes a professional athlete. Yeah. And I was, you know, in my teenage years, I, I understood that. And the two biggest things that my parents installed in my sister and I, and we've talked about it, my parents and I have talked about it since then, is the number one thing was you have to work hard to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve. So as a a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid, I wasn't very good at soccer. I barely made the local team and I was always sitting on the bench. So it wasn't like a big star from from the get-go. I sucked, to put it bluntly. And I just kept going because obviously I was still at school, but I was like, I just want to be a soccer player. That's all I want to do. And I was so one-minded about it. My parents just kept saying, you have to work hard. If you want to be a soccer player, you've got to put the work in. So I'm in the back garden kicking the ball around until my mum calls me in at night for dinner and things like this. And every chance I got, I would go and play a game of, of soccer. and And that was the first thing that they installed in me. And the second one, which goes together with hard work, which is also what, I'm, with it, with a saying that my mum used to t- say to me all the time, the second thing is curiosity, hmm. being curious in okay, I want to be a professional athlete. Well, don't just think, oh, well, there's only you know, 0.1%, let's to put a, a number on it, people who achieve becoming a professional athlete actually do it. But be curious in, well, what if I can? So the thing that my parents used to say to me, especially my mum, was just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I'm going to say that again. She would say this to me all the time. Just because you work hard doesn't mean you're going to be successful. And then she would follow it up with, but if you don't work hard, you definitely won't be successful. So as a kid, I'm like, okay, I could work really hard and not achieve my goal. Hmm. But if I don't work hard, I'm I'm not going to achieve it. Yeah. mixed in with curiosity, you know, and I'll I'll give you a really fun, well, it's fun now that, that uh, I'm still here talking to you, but I'll give you a fun example in a second, a story about curiosity in my, my way that my, especially my mum would sort of encourage me to be curious, but you combine hard work, knowing you've got to do the hard work and you've got to be curious of what you can achieve. You know, you're not necessarily going to achieve what it is you want to achieve with hard work, but you've got to be curious enough to say, well, I know if I don't do it, I'm not going to achieve it. But let's just see if I keep working hard, what can happen? And I think now, like, as I said, I've spoken to my parents about this numerous times. And I've sat and thought about this. You know, I'm 38 now. And I've thought about this over the last 10 years. I'm like, those are two powerful things to install into a child. And the story I want, I want to get to you before I, um, you can jump in on that is, to show how my parents encouraged curiosity was I loved climbing trees, mm-hmm. loved it as a kid, two big willow trees in our back garden. Like these were, these were massive. And one of them was great to climb. So I'm climbing up, I'm climbing up. And then if we're, if we're in a different park, I'm, I'm climbing all the trees. And my mom would always say, you've got to be careful. Because the higher you go, the branches are thinner and there's a higher chance that a branch could break. So just keep that in mind. And I was very good at climbing trees and and I would go up and come down and I'd I'd get stuck and find a way and be curious in the different paths that I would take. And there's one day where I'm climbing up this tree and I'm going, I'm thinking, oh, I've never gone past this branch. Here it is, my mum's voice. What if I can? I've been working really hard. What if I can go a little bit higher? And I went a little bit higher and a branch broke and I fell out of the tree and I'm probably, you know, maybe 30, 40 feet up flat on my back. My mom heard me from inside the house. All she heard was this, and this, after this thud, and she came out and after she realized that I was okay, just extremely winded, She said to me, what happened? And I said, I tried to climb really high. And what happened then? The branch broke. And she just sort of smiled at me and said, well, sometimes you can be too curious at the same time.
1: You know, somehow it reminds me of... um Uh, Something my dad used to say to me when I was a young man, and I'd be heading out uh, for the evening with my friends, and and he he didn't say stay out of trouble. What he would say is use good judgment. And uh, uh, the the the, uh, I I always wonder wonder what might have happened if I had taken his advice. But, that, but that's, a, that I don't, don't want to hijack your story. You know, you, you, you get the, the uh, uh, just because you work hard uh, doesn't mean you'll be successful just because, uh, but if you don't work hard, it, it's, it ain't going to happen. That's right. Um, and then, you know, you, 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 you know, the curiosity story reminds me of the idea that, you know, the, one of the most fundamental think, things about being human is the ability to ask a question and the desire to do so. And one of the questions I love is, what if it were possible? And, um, you know, so we get into uh, the the question, what if it were possible? We're going to go to go to break. Uh, We'll be coming right back uh, after these very important messages from our sponsors. Uh, Stick with us. Uh, We'll be back on the other side of 60 Seconds with Luke Taberski on Brave Hearts Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Bravehearts Radio is sponsored by Brave Hearts for Kids, a national pediatric cancer charity. Our mission is to provide life-saving hope and inspiration to families facing a pediatric cancer ordeal through outreach, information, and mentoring. Our recently updated Spotlight Hope mobile app puts families in touch with resources to help make their lives better from any location in the USA. For more information or to help, go to BraveHeartsForKids.org. That's BraveHeartsForKids.org. As the mission specialist, Brian Reinbold doesn't fly the rockets, but he does help to make sure each mission gets accomplished. Employee engagement is such an important concern for business people today. Brian helps socially conscious businesses reduce expenses, increase profits, and inspire a sense of dedication in the workforce by training mission building behavior. It's not what Brian does that's most important, it's what people do after he trains them. For more information, contact Brian Reinhold at Mission Specialist at BraveheartsRadio.org.
1: Stimulating
2: talk gets those synapses in your brains firing really fast
1: all the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're part of Brave Hearts Radio. Call into the program today to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also email Brian. His email is mission specialist at braveheartsradio.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Reinbold, and I am the mission specialist because it's your parade. I just help make sure that you are in it. Uh, With me today, uh, Luke Taberski. And uh, Luke is coming uh, to us from From London. London that's what I was gonna I, I didn't know if it was from London itself or uh you know you know in 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 the, in the burbs but uh you know London doesn't have burbs the way we have the suburbs in Chicago right oh, uh, sure yeah so um uh it, you were uh you were telling us you know I, I think it was the curiosity story but the uh, uh how you became a professional soccer player and, and the desire that you had for that
2: yeah it was as I said all I ever wanted to do was, it was be a soccer player, and I wasn't very good in my early teenage years, but I was always working as hard as I could. And here I am, I get to 13 and 14, and all my friends are starting to make different representative teams, and Luke still wasn't getting picked. And you might have thought as a teenage, early teenager, we're talking 13, 14, that year old, maybe that could put put a child off, put a kid off. And my parents, they were <laughs> – I think this is really, really a poignant thing to, to sort of point out is when I would go and play – my parents would sit away from all the, the rest of the home parents. They would sit away <laughs> from the parents. They would go and sit with the parents from the other team or on the other side of the field. They'd have their little fold-up chairs, and they would go and sit on the other side of the field where no one was. It was my mum and my dad and my grandmother. They would come and watch me play all the time, and they would sit as far away from the other parents of my own teammates, not because I didn't like them, but they didn't want to get involved in the parents' politics of, kid's sport, you know, I, I'll i get onto it in a second, but I've lived in America and I've seen it firsthand. Obviously, I grew up in Australia and I saw it there as well. And my parents didn't want anything to do with it. So here I am as a 13, 14 year old kid, not getting picked, sitting on the bench. And my parents are just not saying anything. They're not you know yelling at the coach or talking to the coach. Why didn't you put him in this game? Whatever. I kept working hard, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age, 14 years of age. I started to research, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, I'm not good enough. How can I be better? I started to research nutrition as a 14-year-old. I'm reading sports nutrition books. I'm I'm reading encyclopedias because this was, you know, back in the mid-90s before the internet, you know, and Google. So I'm reading encyclopedias about nutrition and I'm reading books about sports nutrition. And I'm reading psychology books to learn about training the mind at 14, like, I looked back at it it, and I just thought, well, I want to be better. These are things that I can do to be better. And I didn't know anyone that was a professional athlete. As I said, I'm coming from a small country town, but I was always curious at how I can be better while I'm always working hard. And then a combination of things happened. I had a bit of a growth spurt. And I became quite athletic. I sort of grew into my body as a lot of teenage boys do around that 14 and a half to 15 years of age. I grew a couple of inches. I was now six foot. I could run. I looked like a, a normal person running rather than like, he still hasn't figured that out yet. Has he? No. Yeah. And the combination of that becoming a lot more athletic with all the hard work that I've been putting in all those years and, and, and doing all the training all of a sudden I went from not even being picked for the local team to being talked about playing for the national team, the Australian under 17 team. And it, over overnight it just blew up. It was crazy. I'm getting phone calls from different coaches, from different academies to saying, can you come and play here? Can you come and do this? And, and it was just mind blowing. So that really installed in me is, okay, that curiosity part of working hard is vital because if I stopped at 13 and just went, oh, I don't really care anymore. I'm just going to go and play in a different team and not try and play representative. This would never have happened because I wouldn't have kept training hard for another 18 months. And all of a sudden I grew into my body and did this. So anyway, from from like 15 to 18 i was playing all over australia i played for professional clubs in their junior teams i left my family home when i was 16 still in high school to live with a family to play for a professional club three and a half hours away from them so i was i was on the rocket ship you know i was on my way and then a couple of years later i'd played the second tier in australia the highest league i'm, I'm 17, 18 years of age, playing against grown men who have played professional all over the world, played professional in Australia, and I'm thinking, okay, this is a good step. And then Australian soccer basically decided to um, shut down and start from scratch again. A bit like in the in the USA, like the MLS, many years ago, they started from scratch with eight teams smaller stadiums to fill them up just eight teams across the country everyone's fully professional and go from then and and we can see now anyone who, who follows soccer how big the mls was mm-hmm. to go back however many years it was 30 years maybe it started with eight teams that's it well australia was basically going to do that and they said it's going to start in two years time so i'm like 20 years of age there's no top tier soccer in australia i can't stay here so i went to the u.s I finished my university degree that I was studying at the time while playing on the side, and um, I bounced around the U.S. from Kentucky to Oklahoma to New Orleans to Orlando to San Francisco, a um, little bit of college and then some um, lower league professional soccer, and I loved it. It was fantastic. It was. I was 21. I just was immersed in all these different cultures, and it was just. Such a fun time in my life in my early twenties. Wow!
1: Yeah, you know, and uh, and having the uh, the the patois of the uh, Australian uh, accent must must have must have been quite a quite a novelty in
2: Kentucky and Oklahoma and New Orleans. The the Australian accent got me out of a lot of trouble, but it also got <laughs> me into a lot of trouble as well. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that I I could I could see that. So you be, you, be, you became pro- professional soccer player.
2: I know? did, and Good. after a few years in the U.S., it was like, okay, it's time for me to really see what I'm capable of. That curiosity side, right? Uh-huh. That curiosity side. Okay, I could I could have stayed in the U.S. I had opportunities there, and it would have been great because I loved my time over there. Yeah. But I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go to England where there's one week of summer, wherever you are in England, that's it. You know, if you're lucky. It's dark, it's cold, it's miserable, the food's horrible. I'm going to go there and and try and play soccer over there. You're a regular,
1: so I, you're a regular London Chamber of Commerce guy there.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, 100%, you know. <laughs> I've been here long enough. I can I can talk like that now. So I came over here my sister lived over, not in London, my sister lived in England, but right down south of England, and I knew no one else. And, and I just sort of was like, you know what, I'm going for it. And it was a massive, not wake-up call, but it was, it was just a, a massive experience that, wow, well, I didn't expect this because I went from semi-pro sort of lower league professional soccer in, in America to proper professional leagues in England and we were training in a cow paddock. It was mind-blowing. The facilities were horrible and horrendous. But it was one of those things that just got it done. And I had a little bit of, of success. I played a few games here and there with a few different clubs. And then I ended up in Belgium. Um, and my agent um, spoke to someone and ended up in Belgium. So I, I caught a train from England to, to Belgium with a, with a suitcase And just to see what happened, it was a trial and a month later, I got a contract and I played for a year in Belgium, which was one of the most amazing experiences because I threw myself into the culture. I got a French teacher. So I learned how to speak French. I've forgotten 99.9% of it, but it is in there somewhere. I've been to France numerous times in the last sort of 10 years. And after two or three days, it starts to come back, but I just had a great time. And and uh, and then the club had some financial difficulties, and then I ended up coming back to the UK to to try and progress my career. And you, uh, how long did you play professional soccer then? I played about just over six seasons um, that I would classify it as as professional. Yeah. So some of the time I was off contract and I wasn't playing and then I would get sort of like a six-month contract or a three-month contract and then I wouldn't play for a bit and then I got a two-year contract so that was good. So I played for a couple of years. That was all missed and mashed but about six years where all I did was kick a ball around and some crazy people put money in my bank account for it. Wow. Pretty
1: cool. So, you know, that's your, uh, your story is there, there's something to it. Um, um, that uh, I, I think of as survivor bias, you know, and it's the, it's the idea that, uh, you know, the, uh, the rags to riches story, uh, they, that, um, you know, we, we were broke and then we became wildly successful. Uh, now we have a book and everybody's interested in that story. But there's a lot of people that, uh, that, that were broke that uh, didn't become wildly successful. And so the uh, survivor bias indicates that, you know, nobody wants to buy their book. Um, and it's, it's like uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning, just because you work hard doesn't mean that you'll be successful. But if you don't work hard, you, you, there's no chance. And so the, the, the only ones who have a chance for survival are those that do work hard. And, uh, and, and you did that and, uh, and really stuck with it, right?
2: Yeah, I did. And I was now in my, my mid to late 20s. I'm, I'm in the UK. Um, I'm actually in London. First time I sort of was living in London well, living slash sleeping on a friend's couch who'd now (laughs) lived in London for a while. And um, he's, I've known him since we were eight years of age and and quite literally, it's quite funny, you know, we both grew up in the same town and we knew each other from eight years of age. And he literally now from where I'm sitting, he lives one mile down the road. That's pretty cool.
1: We're going to go to break now, but we'll come back in just a moment and continue this great conversation with Luke Tversky from London. And stick with us on Bravehearts Radio. We will be back on the other side of 60 Seconds.
0: as the mission specialist, Brian Reinbold doesn't fly the rockets, but he does help to make sure each mission gets accomplished. Employee engagement is such an important concern for business people today. Brian helps socially conscious businesses reduce expenses, increase profits, and inspire a sense of dedication in the workforce by training mission-building behavior. It's not what Brian does that's most important. It's what people do after he trains them. For more information... Contact Brian Reinbold at Mission Specialist at BraveheartsRadio.org. Brave Hearts Radio is sponsored by Brave Hearts for Kids, a national pediatric cancer charity. Our mission is to provide life saving hope and inspiration to families facing a pediatric cancer ordeal through outreach, information, and mentoring. Our recently updated Spotlight Hope mobile app puts families in touch with resources to help make their lives better from any location in the USA. For more information or to help, go to BraveHeartsForKids.org. That's BraveHeartsForKids.org.
1: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You're part of Bravehearts Radio. Call into the program today to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also email Brian. His email is missionspecialist at braveheartsradio.org. Now, back to this week's show.
1: Welcome back, Bravehearts. You're listening to Bravehearts Radio. I'm your host, Brian Rainbow, and I am Specialist because, you know, I don't fly the rockets and it's your parade. Just make sure you're in it. Just came back from a retreat this past weekend at uh, no, in northern Minnesota. And uh, that was uh, the Center for Purposeful Leadership. And I got to emcee that event. It was a blast. And it was really fun to be able to get together live with people once again and um, Just a a, a real treat and um, looking forward to doing some of those things. Uh, Luke Luke Taberski is my guest today. Uh, Something that we're going to talk about before we get to the end of the program today, I hope, is uh, is plans that he and I have begun to formulate for uh, 2028. Uh, But that's all the teaser you get for that for now. Um, Luke, um, you know, at the end of your um, professional soccer
2: career, it was a big transition for you, right? It was massive. And it wasn't one that I even really chose because in the last couple of years of my career, from 27, 26, end of 26, 27 years of age, and 28 years of age. So still young for an athlete. You know, I still had, you know, in reality, a good half a dozen years to go. I kept getting injured kept getting injured and this wasn't really like me and uh, couldn't really put our finger on it. Why I kept getting injured. I had a great medical team in London, you know, like I used the city's facilities. So at one stage I had three surgeries in 11 months and a bunch of different soft tissue injuries and things like this. And for 12 months, my family and friends were telling me your body's trying to speak to you here. You need to listen, but I wasn't ready to retire 12 months later, I tore a calf muscle and it was quite biblical for lack of a better word, where I tore the calf muscle. I looked up and it was almost like, you know, the clouds parted, the sun came out and it was like, okay, now I'm ready. Like it didn't literally happen like that, but that's sort of what it felt like because I knew that I could retire now and I'd have no regrets Mm. And that's one thing I didn't want to do. And I re- t- retired on my terms, even though it was an injury, but I retired <laughs> when I wanted to retire. Okay. So I'm hobbling home back to, back to my house to ice my calf because I just tore it. And it was a case of all I've ever wanted to do was play soccer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've played soccer. I'm still young. I'm 28. I have an exercise science degree to my name because I got bored playing, so I still studied on the side. Now what? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm 28. I've got my whole life ahead of me. Yeah. Now what, now what do I do? So I'm sitting there icing my leg and my brain's going, holy, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And a random thought came into my head, and that was I was speaking to some friends in Australia who were marathon runners, Ironman triathletes, and I thought they were just crazy. They were nuts. And they were talking about all these big, crazy races around the world. And one of them they told me about was one called the Marathon des Sables. Now, this race is an ultra marathon, a running race. And you run the equivalent of six marathons in seven days through the middle of the Sahara desert, carrying everything that you need in your backpack, except for a tent, which they pitch for you every night. and. Your rationed water throughout each day. Mm-hmm. So, 155 miles, seven days through the middle of Sahara Desert, 110, 112 degrees, and your rationed water. And you got you got to remember, you're carrying everything you need. So the food. Imagine this for a whole week: the 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 breakfast you eat on Monday morning, and the dinner you eat on a Sunday night, and then everything you eat in between those times, you've got to carry in your backpack and then run six marathons in that week. The race is ludicrous. And I was laying there, I had no idea what I was gonna do with my life. I had this lack of identity, I was lost. I was suffering with depression because I was kept being injured for the previous couple of years. We can dive into that if you like in a minute. And I thought, you know what, screw it. I'm gonna go and do this race. So I found it online. I called them up and I said, I want a place. When is it? And they're like, it's in six months. I was like, fine, cool. Paid my deposit, which was basically my savings from football. I didn't make huge amounts of money because it's quite expensive race. And I signed up and I said to myself, right, this is what I'm going to do for a living. I'm going to do crazy big challenges all around the world. I'm going to speak on stages about them. I'm going to write books about them. I'm going to have documentaries made about these challenges. And I'm going to write magazine articles as well about specific locations that I go to. This was my, you know, quote unquote business plan that I was going to do with the rest of my life. And starting with this race in six months time, that's running through the desert. So then that was it. My mind went from, I'm not a soccer player anymore to I coined this phrase, I'm going to be an endurance adventurer. So I started telling everyone and that was it. My mind was set, it was made up and I went a hundred mile an hour into doing some of the world's most craziest challenges and uh, create this new career for myself.
1: Yeah, and there, uh, there was another one you told me about the, um, uh, the uh, Morocco to Monaco uh, triathlon.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> part of, part of this, this whole idea of becoming endurance adventurer, as I said, books, magazine articles, talks, documentaries, that was all part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this for a living, I need to do something big. I can't just do races or all these like one-off adventures. I need to do something really big. that's going to put me onto a map. So I did what I thought was logical. I stared at a world map and just came up with this idea. I just had adventure on my mind. And I set this world map and I came up with this route. I saw, and I laugh when I say this, I saw this little space between Morocco in Spain, there was this little gap between the the two, the two continents, between Africa and Europe. There's this little so bit just, of water. A, just a wee bit of water there. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's the Gibraltar Strait. And I, it's literally the mouth to the Mediterranean. Yeah. And I thought, maybe I could swim that. Now, as an Australian, we get taught how to swim as very small kids because there's so much water there. And I could swim but maybe one length of the pool and I would need half an hour to recover before I did one more and then I was done for the day. So I wasn't a swimmer, but I could swim. So I thought this world map looking at me, this little gap, this little bit of water between Africa and Europe, maybe I could swim that. And then I thought, well, the southeast coast of Spain, I've heard is beautiful, right along the Mediterranean. Maybe I could cycle all the way along the coast. Well, hang on. If I'm swimming and I'm cycling, I should run. Where's the next country? Oh, Spain bumps into France. What if I then kept running along the coastline and ran right along the south of France? Where does that hit? Monaco. Okay, Morocco to Monaco. Swim, cycle, run. That makes sense. And I looked at the distances. It sure does. <laughs> yeah, 100. <100%. laughs> like I say it now as if it makes sense to everyone and anyone. It still makes sense to me, even though it's, I know it's ludicrous and crazy, but it, in, in my head at the time and even now, it still does make sense. So I dubbed it the ultimate triathlon because I penned it down there and then, what would I call this? I think, well, I don't know what I'll call it. I'll come up with a cool, catchy name later, but I think this is the ultimate triathlon. Yeah. And I remember I wrote it down, the ultimate triathlon. That was going to be my reference point when I was thinking about it, researching it. And the name just never changed. It stuck. So we kept it as the ultimate triathlon. I looked at the the route and the, and the distance, and it was pretty much around 2,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. So that's around 1,300 miles. And I looked at, okay, how long's it going to take me? And I looked at 10 days, but that was too short. I looked at 15 days. I'm like, uh, I reckon that's too easy. <laughs> <Ridiculous>. <laughs> so, Brian, I kid you not apart from looking at a little bit of the distance and how much I think I could cycle and run or whatever, 2000 kilometers in 12 days sounded catchy. So I thought I'm going to do it in 12 days. There that you go. Was it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I gave myself four years, you know, I, I know what hard work looks like and I know that, okay, wasn't a swimmer. I didn't even own a bike and I just started my running career. I, I had never run a 10K before, never ran a half marathon before, never did a marathon. And I signed up to this Marathon de Sables race in the desert in six months. So I gave myself four years to prepare for the ultimate triathlon. And I went out and did the Marathon de Sables, did the desert race. I did loads of ultra marathons, loads of ultra cycling, um, bunch of swims in the ocean, lakes and things like this. And for those four years, I prepared for the ultimate triathlon that I went out and did in 2015.
1: And you, and you created it on your own, right?
2: I did create it on my own. No one thought I could do it. Everyone thought I was absolutely crazy. And I somehow convinced a guy to come out and film it and make a documentary about it. And there's a documentary about uh, this adventure. It's called the ultimate triathlon. It's on Amazon prime. And
1: We'll have to get a link of that up on the Bravehearts Radio Show uh, website. That'll, that'll be cool, yeah.
2: If you have no interest in sport, if you don't like triathlon or running or swimming or cycling, I would still encourage you to watch it and and bear with it until I, on day, day three, bear with it until the end of day three and see if you then turn it off. I'll be very surprised <laughs> if you do. Because what I've heard from a lot of people is they watch it, even though they had no interest in sport, but what they saw was someone who was so driven and willing to push through pain and and have a team around them mm-hmm. to be able to do that, that it was inspiring to go and try something that they've never tried before.
1: That's so, a- that's an inspiring story, and it, you know, it, it occurs to me that uh, you know the people that said that you were crazy, they're not necessarily wrong. But it's that's not always just a bad thing because that's where that's where some of the best new ideas come from. Is the uh, the the innovators that you know the the man? That's a crazy idea. I, I sure hope it works. You know,
2: yeah. And I I knew I was curious enough to see what happened. And, and you know what, like I, as a, as an athlete and not one that sort of was given five or six year long contracts or played at one or two clubs and I was bounced around as a bit of a journeyman. Oh, sorry. We don't want you on the team. Wasn't successful in trials. So fear of failure didn't, that doesn't bother me because I know I can learn something from it. And I tell you what, my curiosity to see my curiosity to see what if I can do it, is so much more stronger than if there's a ounce of something deep down in my stomach of, Oh, what if I, what if I don't do it? That yeah. curiosity is so much stronger. And I went out there It didn't go to plant. There was ups, downs, roundabouts. Don't want to give anything away, yeah. but it was a phenomenal experience. The small crew that I had around me, um, one I married. <laughs> so my, uh, my, a girl who was just dating for a couple of months. She came out to crew for me. She, I ended up marrying her. Um, one of the sponsors who came out and was my crew, they were um, our witnesses at our, at our wedding. Wow. And, the, and the guy who filmed it, we speak on a weekly basis. He lives a couple of hours away from me and he's one of my closest friends. So And I, I didn't really know these people for much longer than you know a few months prior to it. And now they've become my family. So yeah. it was it was just an amazing experience.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to skip the uh, last break uh, for the show and uh, and just go straight through to the end. Uh, we got about another twelve minutes, and uh, we're just just on such a roll right now. And, uh, uh, but uh, the um, <clears throat> the reality is, uh, uh, Luke, that it it wasn't all um, sunshine and and positive days for you, right? I mean, you had you had some you had some uh, you had some down times too.
2: No, it wasn't. You know, as I mentioned, my with depression, with my mental health, and first started doing these ultra in challenges was escaping from life. It was wasn't a soccer player anymore because I the same day I retired. I, I lost my identity as as my mental health or worse. Uh, my
1: guest, Luke Taberski. Luke was telling us about uh, the, uh, the the life of a uh, professional soccer player and uh, ultra marathoner, and uh, you know, just a um, uh, ultimate triathlete. Um, and and uh, and then uh, I, th- I think we had uh, we would gotten to some uh, some gray skies in in your, on, on your horizon, if if that might be a good way to put it.
2: Yeah, they were they were definitely gray. That's for sure. If not black, yeah. So. As I mentioned before, at the end of my soccer career, I was suffering with some depression. I, you know, would lock myself in my bedroom for, for days when I didn't have to train or things like this. And um, I, would, I really pulled away from society and my friends. And it was a really confusing time for me because here I am, I'm this guy, I've lived all around the world, I've done these, you know, amazing big uh, journeys from different cities to different continents, different countries. And here I am, like I never re- worked a, a normal job in my life and why should I be depressed? So I was really confused. And as I mentioned, I went home that day when I tore my calf muscle to retire and I signed up to this Marathon de Sables race running through the desert on the same day. And the reason why I did that was all of a sudden when I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm not a soccer player anymore. I lost my identity. I had no idea who I was when you take that sport away from me. So, in a knee jerk reaction, I'm like, I'm just going to do something. So, people don't ask me, Well, what are you going to do now? So, I gave them an answer immediately I'm going to be an endurance adventurer, travel around the world to these crazy challenges. But what happened was I realized that my, my mental health was declining at the same time that I was doing more and more running. And I could quite literally and figuratively run away. From stopping and looking at myself in the mirror and saying, Who are you now without soccer? So I was like, I'm not doing that. That's hard work. I might get an answer I don't like. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to keep running. I got back from the desert. I signed up to another ultra marathon. I went and ran down Mount Everest in the world's highest ultra marathon. I ran through a tropical forest in China. I, you know, I did all these big, crazy challenge, double Ironman triathlon cycling for, you know, 220 miles nonstop. And it was all because I was running away from life. I was running away from the fact that I had no idea who I was. I wasn't a soccer player anymore. I had this lack of identity. My depression was getting worse and I became addicted to endurance sports. So then, know,
1: it, it, pardon me for interrupting, but it just occurs to me that you put a new definition to taking the easy way out, because well, it, because you were you 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 were literally doing doing these ultra sports to 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 not have to face the the hard reality, right?
2: Yeah, but the thing was is on the outside on the outside from from people who who was with me, it was like wow he's doing these these awesome things. He's, he's actually going to make this into a career. On the inside, my depression was at an all-time low. In this four-year period, I was preparing for the ultimate triathlon. And I started to battle with insomnia, sleeping eight to 10 hours a week sometimes. Mm. There were days where I, nights where I would not even get into bed because it was like three o'clock in the morning and I was wide awake. And I had all these really negative thoughts in my head. And I'm like, you know what? I know how to get rid of these, put my running shoes on, put my head torch on and go run for four or five hours until the sun comes up. That's what I'm going to do. And I did this so many times. So I was battling with insomnia. I started to binge eat because, you know, at 12 o'clock at night, if I'd already did a four hour run that day, I was too tired. And. And, and my muscles were too sore to go and run again. So to get that high to make me feel good about myself, I would start to binge eat food in the middle of the night. Mm. And then it got really bad because it was a it was a detrimental cycle of doing these um, obsessive runs and cycles in the middle of the night and this overtraining and then binge eating. I hated myself and I, I didn't want to deal with this pain anymore. And there was twice where I went and stood on tops of bridges not wanting to live anymore. So it got that bad and all of this time I hid it from everyone. Yeah. I didn't tell, tell anyone except for one person. And that was my therapist who I started to see because when I went and stand on a bridge and I, and I talked myself down, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I need help. And I went to see a therapist and after you know, about 18 months I was in a better place and then the ultimate triathlon was coming. But then I went down this really, really dark hole again and then I went out to the Ultimate trathon and I literally just put everything into it. But then when I finished, so people might think, oh, he did it, well done. The 18 months after the Ultimate Triathlon, my mental health declined again, but I was strong enough to speak openly about it with yes. my girlfriend, yes. with my parents. And that made a huge difference. And I did a lot of work and I literally had to stop in 2017 and go, I need to deal with the fact that I'm not a soccer player anymore. Yeah. So six years later, I had to stop and grieve my loss in my life. That was my career. That was soccer. Six years later. And I had to then really start to understand who am I? What do I value? And what do I want to do with my life? And how do I want to impact society with me being around? Six years after I retired. Fantastic. It's, you
1: know, it's a it's a it's a great story. It's it's one of the great inspirational stories that I've heard uh you know, all year, and in, in the remarkable uh, tails side of the COVID coin, as I call it, the uh, the heads being the the misery and suffering that 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 um, that COVID has been, but the tails is the remarkable adaptation that we've made in, in creating relationships with people from around the world. And, I, you know, uh, you know for that, I think we, we have to uh, put it in perspective and say uh, um, uh, we, we would not have met had it not been for our need to be adaptable this way. Um, you know, in, in the work that I do with uh, helping people find their life purpose, um, you, you use a phrase that, that I think is appropriate in every single circumstance. You had your whole life ahead of you. Um, And uh, I just uh, in in closing my part, um, they uh, my mom at one time had a hundred and four year old neighbor who was in an exercise program with her. And uh, people ask, you are 104. Why would you want to be in an exercise program? She says, I want to be healthy for the rest of my life. Uh, transitions um, there's there's a life purpose there's a purpose to every transition so um, it's it's exciting to to uh, to work with you and and uh, I did promise that before we leave we'd uh, we'd uh, let the uh, bravehearts listeners know about our our upcoming project you, you want to say anything about that we got about one minute left i'
2: I'll, I'll leave that up to you if you want to reveal any more or not all right um, it just uh
1: it occurred to me that uh, we have a connection in uh in queensland australia and it's um it's uh, the uh, 2028 uh, brisbane olympics uh, and uh, we're going to be co-hosting a retreat for thought leaders from around the world in uh in that vicinity you know we we, we, we haven't uh we haven't decided exactly where it's going to be but there's going to be there's going to be a lot of good stuff going on and, and uh, i'm looking forward to uh to to be in part of that with
2: you luke uh, as am i brian i can't wait thank you very much for having me on thanks for being on brave hearts radio uh, remember stick with us
1: every week at uh three o'clock uh, central time i think that's nine in london 9 p.m uh for the live show um and as always uh Remember that doing good anywhere does good everywhere. And remember to celebrate every day. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks again for joining us this week for Brave Hearts Radio. Be sure to tune in for another edition featuring your host, Brian Reinbold. The show can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next time.